You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Noah Jemison. Noah, thanks so much for talking with me today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> Hope all is well and you're not rained in like we are down here. <laughs> on September 6th, and we're talking on September 6th in 2022, it's the rains seem a little, yeah, in New York, a little uh, almost biblical, right? There's like the deluge or something. Um, yeah, but we're lucky compared to most of the country, to tell you the truth, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so let's talk about your upcoming shows. There's um, there are a few upcoming shows, but at Scotto Gallery, there's a, uh, a show coming up this October, yes. 2022. That's a that's a review of paintings of the 70s and 80s. Well, uh, no, actually, these will be more contemporary works, and uh, it'll be counterbalance against what's uh, happening at the Museum of Modern Art, which is from the late from the middle to the late 70s. I showed with a gallery called Just Above Midtown Gallery that uh, was run by Linda Bryant, Linda Good Bryant, and. Uh, at that show will deal with uh well it'll have three pieces in one from the uh metropolitan museum collection large painting and two smaller works from the uh rockefeller foundation and uh that's the old but the new will be at skodo gallery skodo's gallery is uh located on 10th Avenue and right across 20th Street there and in the 529 building. His gallery is on the fifth floor. Skoto is a Nigerian, and he's had some of the most interesting shows in the last 30 or 40 years. <laughs> and uh, it's always been a pleasure to work with him because I've been allowed to show whatever I like. But... Uh, that show at the uh, Modern will feature a lot of pretty well-known artists right now who got some of their starts, actually, at that uh, just above Midtown Gallery. Yeah, let's uh, talk about that gallery, because that was, that was a, a legendary gallery, really, right? There was um, a close association with David Hammonds that Linda Good Bryant had. Was that correct? David Hammonds, Howard Dina Pindell, uh, Singer, uh Jorge Rodriguez, um, Randy Williams, a whole lot of artists who now you know making quite a name for themselves. And uh, so, 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 yeah, so, so let's talk about that because that was an amazing time. What Linda Good Bryant did and the and the artists that that she championed, including yourself, of course, went on to to great careers. And this is at a time when. Um, I mean, it's still a struggle, but it was also in reaction to black artists not being shown in in white galleries in New York. Is is that correct? Precisely, yeah. She took it upon herself to get right in the mix of it and, and was really competing with a lot of the galleries that were happening on Madison Avenue. And it turned out to be almost like a workshop. I mean, so many good artists, we were all collaborating and some stealing from each other and being influenced by each other but it uh was one of the most fertile periods i guess for all of us and i think a lot of uh credit has to go to her because 
she had been working, I think, at the uh, Studio Museum and the educational wing of that uh, uh, museum, and she got together, I think, with a guy by the name of uh, Andy Owens, and they got that gallery, and it was hot for about four or five years. I mean, really, some dynamite shows that were competing with the stuff that uh, most of the other galleries up in that area, you know, was doing. Scoto, uh, in contrast, has been really showing, I guess, having had a gallery in the early 80s all the way up to now, he and his wife. His wife uh, is uh, a French woman. I think she went to the Sorbonne, and the two of them first started off down in, uh, in uh, the Lower East Side, I mean, right up from uh, uh, Little Italy, and then they moved up to Chelsea, and they've been pretty good at sponsoring artists uh, of color and, and white artists from all over the states, of course, but mm. from Central and South America, of course, Africa, and it's an all-inclusive thing, you know, and I, mm. I think I started working with him because a lot of the galleries want you to do nice, uh, safe paintings that they can sell like objects, and I, I, I just refuse to do that. I, I have to have total freedom so whatever happens, happens, you know. And I also so can we talk about the paintings in the, in, in the upcoming exhibition then? Yeah, what, what is happening? In your in your studio that will be in Scotto Gallery in in October. Probably one of the most positive things that came out of the pandemic is we all everybody had to stay in, and I for some reason I did almost twice as many paintings as I've done in my life in that uh, the, let's say two year period. A lot of these paintings uh, hark back to childhood memories and nursery rhymes and uh, fairy tales, I think kind of uh, in conjunction with the tales and lies that uh, that have been so prevalent in the media uh, over the last two years or so while we were quarantining. Uh, it's so, the, so the fairy tales, the fairy tales in a way, or the with the subtext, I mean, just tell me if I'm reaching too much, is also uh, is political commentary in there. Well, in some of them, of course, but and practically well, all art is political, no matter what an artist says. But right. in most cases, it's it's taken nursery rhymes and, and uh, fairy tales that are very popular and, and put a, a kind of a different twist on them because they filter through... I guess the mind that was uh, that was kind of working overtime with trying to correlate it with the type of tales that I mean, our whole thing has been inundated with lies and with uh, fantasies that are not true, and some are very destructive. But the paintings came out and. Well, I started out to say in those early days in, uh, with the Just Above Midtown Gallery trying to imitate some of my favorite medium, which was watercolor. As a kid, I, I did watercolor most of the earlier parts of my life and, 
I had gone through it for years before I found out it was the most treacherous, supposedly, medium. I'm glad I didn't know about it because I fell in love with it. And I created the encaustic technique that I brought to town from out of uh, graduate school at the University of Iowa. When I first got here, no one was doing encaustic, the hot wax process, but it very quickly took off and everybody and his mother started doing it. But it was an imitation of watercolor. And after, I guess, around the 90s or so, I started using gouache acrylic. And that kind of, uh, it kind of satisfied me. It has that all of the advantages of watercolor and that you have the, the opaque, uh, translucent, and transparency. And, uh, be, and like water, which is the medium, watercolor all of these other mediums that I had are very capricious like water and you can't control it so you have to get with it and the paintings in in some cases come off like uh, like jazz quite honestly where improv total improvisation <laughs> happens and I love that because I find out things about myself when I'm working that way uh, in this uh, show that's going to be at the Martin, there's going to be a video, so I want to caution your viewers. <laughs> uh, in those days, I was painting sometimes in the nude when I would work in my studio in Chelsea. <laughs> and the reason for that was not to be an exhibitionist, but uh, there was something kind of uh, honest about approaching a blank sheet of canvas or a blank sheet of paper in your birthday suit. You can't you can't pretend. And some of those paintings came out just they're totally honest. And these new paintings that I'm doing are also that way. You know, I still do that. I still occasionally, especially in the summertime, when uh, before we got all these high rises around us. I, I live in Williamsburg. It used to be that we had so much space we could see the horizon. It felt like I lived in the sky, but all of a sudden uh, we're being encroached by all of the gentrifiers who, of course, want to be she-she, and wherever the artists are, they want to take over and come in and pretend that they're artists. But I still have quite a bit. So does that prevent you? Does these new tall buildings doesn't prevent you from... Painting no, without any clothes on, as you were saying. You do that anyway. They're not going to stop it, though. No, it's just their problem. They, they have to deal with it. But uh, but I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, it is part of I mean, you mentioned the modern and the, and the video there, and that that's happening now. But that that is also part of your studio process, you're saying, right? This is, that's right. This is part yeah. of your approach, the freedom, the, the you know, it's... It's, well, I, I always often think in terms of a painting as being just the residue of that experience you had, and in making it, it's almost like a it's like a drama or it's like a dance, you know. And uh, the end product is, if you had a good good uh, good good uh, dance, that that end product will be strong. Oh, incidentally, the I have a show coming up. In the spring of 2024, at the Birmingham Museum of Art—that's my hometown and my 
family will get a chance to see my work for the first time since I was probably uh, a teenager. And I wow. look forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It's going to yeah, be a big show. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put links in here so people can look at that as well. And, and to talk about some of the work that you were saying, just to go back to the um, you know, the idea of working on this almost as a, as, as a kind of improvisation of jazz, the medium that you're using now and, and improvising with, this is watercolor based? Is that what you're saying? Entirely? It's gouache acrylic, so it, it drives permanently, but you have all the advantages that you have with, I guess, transparent and opaque watercolor, you know? Uh, and after all those years of working with uh, encaustic painting, it allows me just the same range, you know. I mean, I can build the color up or I can have it as translucent and soft as a watercolor in some place, but it's permanent, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's a strand that's been running through my work for years that's really becoming very prominent again, and that's like kind of a modern mythology. I uh, once heard uh, 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 Professor talking on Bill Morris and said that uh, we couldn't have a modern uh, mythology because I guess whatever his reason was that the people were not I guess as heroic as they were in the past and, and people not uh, approaching life the same way, but that's lies. I, I've been working with my, <laughs> mythology comes out automatically with my work and some of the uh, more kind of hybrids between uh, abstraction and every now and then a figure will pop in. I so the I so the so the yeah the current show yeah no go on tell me about that so that's figuring into this current show as well as a as, as mythologies based I would think in part on all the material you were talking about in the pandemic as well from yes. memories to to yes. to media and, and information yes. a lot of it has to do with with my I guess being influenced by children's work and cave paintings years ago I. I had been drawing for about 25, 26 years, and everybody loved the drawings. I started off drawing very young, around three or four, and hiding my drawings for about uh, about a year before my aunt grabbed one and let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> but I, I, I found that drawing and painting allowed me to set up a kind of an internal space so that I could get away from my peers and my cousins who were driving me nuts. And uh, those years I, I drew, uh, I guess I must have been studying uh, some of the works of some of the great masters, and I, I, I don't believe in this so-called neo-primitive crap. I think I heard uh, Charlie Parker say, uh, in an interview with uh, another jazz musician that study is good. It's like putting a shine on a nice pair of shoes, and I agree with that. You, you cultivate the God-given talent, and those children's drawings 
uh, taught me, got me back into what I was doing when I was a child. I mean, the kind of free willing and allowing myself to to experiment and be uh, take risks. And when I first got that first pencil as three or four year old child, the line itself fascinated me. And mm. when I look at uh, when I started looking at cave paintings, I saw. They were more modern in a lot of ways than the so-called modern art. And and ditto for the uh, sculpture, too. I've seen some sculpture pieces with a kind of pared-down form. Uh, Not Brancusi copying art, uh, uh, African art, but just the bare essentials. And it created some some, some spectacularly modern art that... uh, I mean, you can look at and play with with your imagination much more than some of this uh, overblown kind of a lot of dexterity painting. (laughs) Uh, Right. I I, I think what we got away from is the fact that uh, the object itself is important but it's the drama of the man or the woman, the way they live their life and the way they approach that particular work that uh, that enc- encapsulates, you know, the things that we really we, we want to get in contact with. And anybody can come and look, and whatever they feel or whether whatever response they have is is legitimate because the whole idea is to invite them in. Uh, too often, I've, especially as a professor, I ran into people who were trying to make art an elitist thing. And I spent most of my life trying to invite people to participate, not only with my work, but with art in general. You know, it's just, mm. it's a wonderful thing to be able to go into a museum and see something and come out. Um, I guess more than what you were before you went in. And it's an awful thing to go into a gallery and see awful work because it takes as much energy to look at bad work as it does good work. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking about the exceptional works. I've been pretty. Yeah. I've been pretty. You know, I want to. I want to. I mean, what you're saying also about this kind of ethic, almost. You know, um, I'm excited to see this upcoming show. And there's links, of course, to the upcoming shows that you've mentioned. Um, in, in, in just above Midtown, part of this this way of looking at art, this this the lack of elitism that you've been fighting against, was that something that was formed then, or you know, because as you were saying, that wasn't just a uh, you know a gallery; it was a group of of artists who were who were looking at each other's work, maybe borrowing from each other's work, sure, and being influenced sure. and and creating something together. So. Uh, is that part of that, that that ethic that you're talking that, that, about there, or is it not really that, a test? That's part of that ethic, but I, I, I came here with that. that that's, the, that's the thing that uh, impressed me so much about uh, children's work. The whole idea is to get back into that kind of serious play thing that we had as youngsters. Uh, too often we get get to thinking trying to think on too high a level and too intellectual uh, a level 
and we lose the whole point of uh, the fact that it should be enjoyed. You know, it should be something uh, uh, to be uh, appreciated by the artists themselves while they're creating it. The 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 idea of reaching for that archetype inside of us can best happen when we get into that mode that we were into as children. In fact, that's almost like my definition for the artist. It's that person that maintains that child even when they when they're when they become an adult. When I was a kid going around the, my grandmother's house and finding odds and ends and bringing them out in her front yard and organizing them. I didn't even know what it was called until somebody said, you're going to be an artist. I said, what is that? They said, a person who makes things, who's creative. I said, you can make a living at this? Said, if you're good enough, some of them said, you know. And when I was that child, there was an old man inside of me who protected that child. That child is still alive, and it keeps the old man young or youthful in, in, in spirit, at least, if not in body in some ways. You know, It's it's a beautiful combination, to tell you the truth. Uh, I think most artists have that. Most artists have that. I've, I've looked for definitions for art in all of those years I was teaching, and I, I heard one that came close where the guy said something about, uh, I read something about art. Art is a formal expression of a conceived idea in terms of a given medium. I just think it's just serious play, quite honestly. You know, mm. the same the same uh, talent that I used to, as a kid to hit a baseball or to shoot a basket as an athlete. And I was pretty much pretty good at all of those, or to solve a geometry problem. The same feeling, the same thrilling happens with that eureka that you get when you're doing an, an art piece. You know, when you when you when you break through to a barrier, it's like bringing something from an, out of nothing into being. We're like transformers that way. Uh, I used to tell my kids that uh, my students, and I taught college and graduate school. I used to tell them that. It's like you got the mass of humanity out in the middle of the woods and all tied up together. And out on the perimeter, you have the artists and the creative people chopping down trees to make space for the mass of humanity. I think that's our job, to, to get out there and explore what it means to be alive. I was talking, you asking me about books that I've read. I've, mm-hmm. I've been killing... Uh, I went back to the 70s about a year ago, and I found some books by a Tibetan monk, a Lapsin Rapper, and one was called The Third Eye that I love because it made me interested in Buddhism, along with studying Castaneda at the time with Don Juan and uh, Cracking the Cosmic Egg and Seth. All of the hip people read a lot of the same books. And there was also another one called uh, The Cave of the Ancients by the same author. And I've been uh, killing Marcel Proust lately. <laughs> I read a little bit about him in college, and I've been, I've been 
had my daughter to get a set of uh, six books that are just fascinating and wonderful, detailed uh, author who's been probably translated more than any other author in the world, quite honestly. So I, I, all my life, I've been right in the middle of books. It's the only way you can learn something. So when I hear them talking about outlawing, uh, some of the most important books that I've read. It's, just, it's ridiculous, quite honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad you um, you talked about those books, and, and, and also thanks so much for, yeah, for what you just shared about, about art and, 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 and art practice. And I, I want to just thank you, Noah, for, for talking with me today and wish you well on, on, on the modern, on the upcoming show in October and the upcoming show um, uh, in a year. Uh, I look forward to all of that, and, and, and thank you again for your time. Well, thanks for the invite. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.